the St Albans Podcast Theatre Show with Ben and Susie. Boom and we're back. <laughs> Look at us. Seamless. Welcome to another theatre show with Susie and Ben. And Ben and Susie as well. If you insist. <laughs> no one stopped us so far, so we're going to carry on doing this. We are, we We've are. We've got a really good show for you today, haven't well, we, Well, you Susie? would say that because this is basically the Ben show this week. We, <laughs> as uh, You know, sometimes we have guests who come into the studio and speak to us together. Sometimes it's just one at a time. And this week, um, you know, Ben, you've had people in to visit you. Who did you have in? Well, I spoke to the lovely ladies from Gone. Yeah. Uh, the writer and director of Gone, which is on at the Ovo Theatre, Maltings Arts Theatre. Brilliant. I also had a chat with Rachel Barker of Abbey Theatre fame. On on set or what? On set, on location. On location. On location with yeah. her. Um, and then what else? And then I also chatted to a couple of those ladies in Lavender Ooh. who were going to be performing down in Not the Not Dame Abbey Judy Theater. Dench. No, 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 no. No, the stage version. No, that she's yeah. next week. Okay, yeah, sure. Uh, so so lots of, so there's two, two previews and then a bit of insight into what happens, you know, yeah, yeah, what, what else, else in the running of a theatre. Have you ever asked yourself this question, Susie? What does a house manager do? I have not. Not, I mean, certainly well, if you came to my house, there is no manager. But t- Today, we're <laughs> going to answer that question. Brilliant stuff. All right. Well, I, I mean, I, I feel like I want to talk more because no one's going to hear my voice this episode. But, yeah, maybe that's not a bad maybe thing. Maybe just go on a monologue. Maybe, yeah. Ooh, Do I a could. rap. <laughs> Do a rap. Anyway, I hope you all in, uh, enjoy the show. Let's get stuck in. We're here with Rachel Barker of... Abbey Theatre fame at the moment, but also you wear many different hats, don't you, Rachel? Yes. So as well as being a company of 10 member and volunteering at the Abbey Theatre, I'm also the administrator for Theatrics, which are the performing arts school based at the Abbey Theatre. And so what are you doing tonight? I can see your badge from here, but the listeners can't. What, What are you up to? Yes, I've just put on my house manager badge, which means that for tonight's show... At the Abbey Theatre, I'm going to be the front of house manager, so looking after the audience, making sure that the stewards and the bar and the coffee for if we had an interval and before and after the show is all running smoothly and counting hopefully lots of money from (laughs) programme sales. And, you know, how did you get into house managing specifically? Was there a long training process or, uh, you know, how do you prepare for your role, I suppose, as a house manager? Um, I think that the house manager role, uh, people are more worried that it's more complicated than it really mm-hmm. is. I know there's a small bunch of us, we're, we're gradually increasing, but there's a, there's a small bunch of us and we do need more people. Essentially, if you've got common sense and you can count, and honestly, maths is not my strong point. I think I got <laughs> a C at GCSE and that was it. Um, I stopped. You don't need a calculator. If you can count and you've got common sense and you're good with people and you don't get flustered or stressed in in an emergency because obviously you can never know what might come up, um, then you could definitely do the role. Um, And I suppose I came to it because I knew there was a shortage of people. I felt like I had the right skills. And then the theatre manager, Tina, um, I shadowed her on one of her shifts. And then she sort of um, followed me, made sure that when I did the shift for the first time, I, I did everything right. Um, and that was it, really. But I'm sure if you needed more uh, support, you could you could have more sessions of being. Oh, there goes the phone. Don't think that's for me. Um, and also, I've also helped people that want to become house managers. So they've come and shadowed me, and mm. I've taken them through the process. There's a um, 
I'm going to show Ben my clipboard. Not that the listeners can see it. But it's a very nice red clipboard, yeah. listeners. And there's two columns of checklists. So you really can't go wrong because you literally follow that mm, and tick it off as step. you go, step by step. Um, obviously, you have to know which keys you're using in which areas. Um, and if you're quite familiar with the building, I'd already done quite a lot of stage managing and working backstage. Um, that does help. But if you're not, it's not the end of the world because you sort of work in tandem with the stage manager um, when you're house managing. So that's really interesting. You're saying uh, you've done a lot of stage management and things like that. Where did you start off your journey in local theatre? What was your, th your first experience of theatre? Uh, first experience of local theatre mm -hmm. um, was when I moved to St Albans and I became newly single and I thought, gosh, I don't know anyone in St Albans except <laughs> my ex. I'm going to join the local theatre company and I work, I did work at the time and still do work in professional theatre um, and I love it. It's it's uh, not just my sort of job day job. It's a passion. It's my life. If I didn't do it, I think it would feel like I'd you know lost a limb. <laughs> so um, I just did a bit of online research and went to meet a few of the local companies. And um, I think the Abbey Theatre and the Company of Ten were the one that I just felt best met what I was wanting to get out of of local theatre. The fact that you could work on productions which feel as professionally staged and produced as most fringe if not off West End venues and having worked in quite a few I can compare them quite well mm. um, that was a big pull and the friendliness of everybody and all the members the kind of demographic of ages of people that you get to meet and mix with um, and then I also suppose sort of slightly wrongly thought oh and I might meet a future boyfriend there um, but didn't but then did meet my partner, who I'm now married to. Um, and interestingly, he'd already been coming to quite a few of the shows at the theatre before I'd become a member. Mm. So although we didn't meet at the theatre, I would say is a breeding ground for being able to meet new friends and possibly future relationships. Romances. Yes. I know a few that have happened. I won't <laughs> say any more. But um, yeah. Well, on that salacious note, we'll leave it there and we'll be back with you, Rachel, in just a minute. Great. Hello, I'm Simon Carver. Join me and Danny Smith on our new podcast, The St Albans Film Guide. Each week we'll be looking at what's on at the cinema, the top ten, new releases, and also what's on TV over the coming week on all the free-to-air channels. Now, if you want to find the podcast, go to your podcasting platform of choice and search for The St Albans Podcast. Alternatively, you can go to stalbanspodcast.com to find out more. So that's The Film Guide with me, Simon Carver, part of The St Albans Podcast in association with The Hearts Advertiser. Hello, I'm here with Lisa Schulberg and Megan Jenkins, the director and writer of Gone. How's it going, guys? It's going yeah, really well. Good. Yeah, thanks. So let's let's jump jump right into it. What is Gone about? Uh, so on uh, on paper, Gone is about uh, missing children. It follows uh, two uh, two children who go missing ten years apart from the same place. Um, which is a, uh, a large national park and the effect that has on their families, their communities. Um, it's quite, it's an epic thriller, really. It spans 30 years. Uh, it jumps time a lot. Uh, for, for me as writer, it's more about uh, storytelling and narrative and how that, uh, and how stories have a very real effect in the real world. Lisa? And then for me, I think it's all of that. And then it takes on, a whole load of other ne levels in that you have these 23 
real, very rounded characters who all experience something connected to these stories. Um, and it looks at the dark side of their personalities and desires. Um, it looks at how we manage our feelings and it looks at relationships. So it, it's it's really great because personally for me, good theatre is about a great story, but with characters who you really care about. And when I originally saw the show, which is what happened, I saw it in London, mm. um, I I remember sitting there and, and it was a one-act show at that point. And one of those things of someone going, well, it's 80 minutes. And you're like, oh, there's no interval. <laughs> oh, goodness. And I was sat next to a friend of mine and we watched the play and it finished. And we went, oh, is that it? Mm. Which for me is quite rare in a theatre as a director to actually not shuffle about and it, it went so fast and and you were following all these different stories and afterwards I wanted to talk about lots of the characters um so for me it was it was just brilliant and then the idea was to extend it um, and so you've got quite a large cast so yes. all those 23 different characters they're all played by a different person is that right yes that's right um which again is lovely because they're taking each of those characters on that journey but they also work as an ensemble um, so there's there's some beautiful scenes uh, where there is a vigil and there's searches and, and you get this sense of a whole community. But also at the same time, Megan's written fantastic naturalistic scenes. Um, there's a, a group of young um, campers. Well, they're out in the they're out in the woods. They're teenagers, mm. and quite a lot of the cast are teenagers. And when they read the script, they said that is the most naturalistic that's us that sounds like us um so they were very excited to do that but there's also um poetic language in there and physical theater and so it's a, a real mix you get totally drawn into a naturalistic moment and in real time and then suddenly you're 20 years further on mm. and you've you know been moved into almost um a visual and uh poetic understanding of grief so it, it Wow, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it is. It, well, we we writers always do that. You kind of you kind of like they didn't intend it. And as a director or a you know mm. uh, actor, you go, well, oh, there's all this in there. And the writer goes, no, nah, there wasn't. Oh there. no, there was. We had a big. I had a whole wall full of uh, yeah. themes and and topics and things to pick up on when it was being developed. And, uh, and yeah, I'm glad you found them. Good. Mm. There are, there are a lot of dark themes throughout the play. Uh, how do you prepare a young cast that you've got? for that is is do you just crack on with it and you say look guys read the script it's a bit dark let, let's go or do, is there like a process that you have to go through working as an ensemble and things like that when lisa uh asked to do this um my my first response was are you sure are, are you really sure mm. with with a youth group are you certain and um and and she was so confident in this group of young people and she said well what I'll do is I'll I'll have them read it and then they can decide, which is uh, what you did. And then we sent it to parents and we said, please read it mm. because this is what we would like to do. The reason we wanted to do it as well is uh, the group that we work with, uh, many of them have been working with us or training with us for some of them 13 years. Um, and they, they are an incredibly mature group. Um, and it was sent to their parents and, no one responded with a I'm not happy with this mm. and in fact a few people responded and went what a fantastic piece this is great it's a challenge for them and also um, kind of eye-opening I mean a lot of people would argue that most of us have darkness in our lives so talking about it is actually one of the most positive things you can do so those dark issues but we 
at the moment, we're just at the phase of we're trying to drop all the darkness actually in rehearsals <laughs> because everybody's become quite um, fixed on all the background and all all the history and the depth of the issues. Mm. When actually, a lot of Megan's writing is funny mm. and it's it's very fast um, and pacey, and so for an audience, it's really enjoyable. So at the moment, we're just trying to get the actors and everybody going. Okay, we know the issues are there. A bit mm. like life, if we just get on with it, they'll come out. But yeah, so we did discuss them. And we also said as well, if anyone um, needed any support or... So we've been very um, careful with how we've approached it. Lovely. We'll be back with Lisa and Megan in just a bit. And we're back with Rachel. You're involved in the Abbey Theatre, but you also do some work with theatrics. Is that right? Yes, that's right. So I'm the administrator for theatrics. I've been with them for about a year and a half and that came about through the previous administrator who um, owns and runs the business with the principal and he and I were working on a show together at the theatre painting the floor of the set as you do he designed Mm -hmm. the set I was think stage managing or deputy stage managing the show Um, and I was talking about my work-life balance and how I was going to make a change and give up my job in London uh, which at the time wasn't in theatre Mm. And I wanted to go back into theatre and working in a freelance capacity. And um, he came back to me with a proposal for taking over from him. He'd done the job, I think, for about the last 20 years. So there was 20 years worth of sort of knowledge in his brain that I had mm. to learn. Um, but yeah, been with them now, done two productions, two annual showcase productions with them. Um, and we're just coming up for a set of exams so the students do exams every year Um, so I'm using my stage management skills because I stage manage their production for them as well. So what's your role within professional theatre if if you if you're comfortable talking about it? Yeah absolutely so I currently am just finishing working with Tallower Theatre Company who are based now in East Croydon um, they moved from central London and they are the UK's primarily, primary black-led theatre company. So they their mission essentially is to uh, get more black actors on the stage and also working backstage. And I've been doing um, quite a lot of work with them in their relocation to their new home. Um, I'm qualified in HR, so I've been helping them with mm. sort of recruitment and setting up um, the new structure there. And I'm just about to finish with them and move to Polka Children's Theatre in Wimbledon. So that's my next role. Very exciting. So you, you're bouncing around different roles, doing, wearing lots of different hats, even in your professional life, doing yes. HR and, yes. and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, absolutely. It's really interesting. And so out of um, house managing, stage managing, all of the different roles that you do, what would you say is your favourite and, and why? Oh, it has to be, I think, stage managing. I very nearly became a professional stage manager. Was it not for the fact that I would have to live out of a suitcase and Mm -hmm. probably only mix and have relationships with people that also worked on the show, (laughs) which is fine for some people, but I just thought I didn't think I wanted it to be my life. So I love it. I love um, the fruition of a show from casting a show through to you know performing and, and the final night and the high that you're on and then even the strike afterwards where you have to take the set apart um, you know that that can feel quite upsetting for a lot of people but it's it just makes you feel like you've done a really good job you've you know you've finished you're ready for the next show to come in mm. um, it's tiring uh, it's very long hours it can be quite stressful 
Um, but if you're working with the right director and the right team, which I would say is the biggest tip that I could give, pick wisely or make sure you're picked wisely to join the team, mm. um, then yeah, that's what I get the biggest kind of um, rush from, I think it would have to be. And what would you say to someone who's out there listening to this podcast and thinking, oh, I'd like to get involved in local theatre, but I don't quite know how. What, 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 what should you do? What's the first step and what advice would you give them? I would say come along on a Sunday lunchtime to the bar, meet some of the members. The bar's always open, um, everyone's really friendly. Um, or drop the, the membership email, an email and just, um, you know, for somebody that's not so good face-to-face, first of all. Or find out from your friends if anybody is a member and have a chat with them and come along to a show and see what the production values are like and if you enjoy the kind of shows that are on. Um, you don't have to get involved backstage. You can also just get involved front of house. Um, I can, haven't done it for a while, but I did get trained on box office. Um, so you can do things like box office, mm. which are, you know, you, you don't have to be doing the shows. So even if you're not somebody that wants to get involved in the technical side of the shows or acting, there's loads of stuff that you can do front of house. Um, but yeah, just come along and, and see what the theatre is, is like and see what the shows are like. Because I think that's a really good way of finding out you know if you enjoy the shows and you feel that they're really well put together then the team behind that you know they're the people that you want to be Mm. working with and and joining lovely thanks rachel no props thank you and we're back with lisa and megan uh so gone from the trailer that you put out and it might be a bad idea to judge it from the trailer it seems a lot like it was it would be something that you'd see on ITV1 like a gritty drama kids gone missing what's going on type thing is it is there some sort of inspiration behind that or well uh we sort of so basically this was written for another uh theater company um that I work with is uh associate playwright and uh we went into it not knowing and and how I R&D um, is that I have certain things that I'm interested in and uh, we all do separate research and we talk about it. And um, and what I was interested in was storytelling. And at some point, someone uh, told a story about a little girl who uh, disappeared. She walked into a forest and she never walked out again um, and just disappeared off the face of the planet. And everyone thought it was uh, so interesting wanted to talk about it for ages. And, and this is what we landed on. And then as we were making it, um, I I feel very strongly about theatre not being uh, pretentious and I dislike theatre that makes people who don't normally go to the theatre feel like they're stupid and I, I think a lot of theatre gets by by lots of people not wanting to admit that they don't understand it and I like the fact that and, and as, as Gone was being created it started to move into this uh, almost filmic thing and I liked and I and we decided to lean into it because um, people will sit and watch uh, an ITV drama for three hours on a Friday night but mm. if you can get those people into a theatre to watch that kind of thing but in a very different way mm. um, I, I think that's how we start to make theatre more accessible when it's not about three people talking in a room about philosophy for three and a half hours you know and um, so I yeah so so yes it was it was uh, w- we saw that coming um, and lent into it but if you are coming to watch an ITV drama it's not c- 
quite that. No. <laughs> no. And also the no. trailer, um, we, we kind of argued a little bit about the trailer. There's a second one out now. We're kind of throwing them out there to try and bring people in who maybe don't normally um, come to the theatre or come to see the work that OVO or Best Theatre Arts or, you know, often it's, it's a group of people who support you and come and see mm. it. And actually, as Megan said, um, you know, a lot of the people in this play are young people. Um, and with Dawn Hudson, who's my co-director, she's um, we, we've worked closely on a lot of productions. And the thing that we really do, and we both have in common, is we love the heart of the truth of a story and a character, but we both love great theatricality mm. and not pretentious theatre. No one in this play is going to do a move or throw their arms in the air for no reason. You know, it might be that we're in a dream or we are in the lake and we're, we're trying to understand a feeling and we can explore that in a different way in theatre that you can't do on television. But essentially exactly that, that it's not a case of people sitting there going, why are they doing that? That's a bit <laughs> weird. Or anything like that. It's a case of that you should just feel all the atmosphere. So the trailer so far, the first one I think felt a little bit, it felt like a bit like a horror, mm. um, which it isn't. Again, you, but you can't put across 24 characters and 90 minutes of theatre in a minute. Yeah. Um, but yes, there is this, it is about this real sense of not knowing that comes through the play, which I guess people find quite scary. Or And so if we flash forward, mm-hmm. what would you like audience members to be saying as they're walking out, out of the theatre? What's the one thing that you want people to take away from having seen this play? I want people to still be talking about it for a good hour in the bar. I want them to have theories about what happened. I want them to argue. I want them to have noticed things that other people didn't notice. I want them to be making a mental pin board with with threads and pictures and things that you see in a detective drama um which we had in london a lot um actually in both both shows we had people chatting for a good hour having actual arguments with their mates about it and and i think that's great and i think that's um and also uh in a lot of the characters um they subvert what you think they might be the mother is not how you might expect her to be there's Mm. um a young man a violent young man who maybe isn't what you think he is and that's starting to question the narrative that you have already made for someone that you don't know i think is something that's uh quite important now if if we are going to be a bit pretentious about it, <laughs> um, yeah, starting to question your own narratives about other people and yourself. And for me as well, I think people just coming out and go, I really enjoyed that. Oh, yeah, yeah. So even though not, it's not one of those plays just to warn as well that just leaves you at the end and you go, oh, what, what just, I don't understand. And then you talk about it for now because you just didn't understand it. Mm. And and Megan's right. I mean, I, I did see it in London. And in fact, Dawn and I, who are both directing it, only last night were still arguing about one of the points in it as to what we believe mm. is the story. And we were like, oh, well, we're just going to disagree on that one. And the, and the actors themselves have made those choices as well. So Megan's created a play where you almost, you, you say, well, does that character know or don't they? And that's your, you make that decision. And I think the audience go through that same process. But I think hope as well that people just really go on that lovely journey as well of, of, of feeling things for the characters they're watching and come out and just go, oh, I really went somewhere in that time. Lovely. Well, thanks for coming in. Uh, you can see Gone at the Maltings Arts Theatre from the 27th to the 29th of Feb. All the details to buy tickets will be in the podcast description and available on our website. That's the com. 
Uh, and thanks for coming along. Is there anything else you'd like to add? Anything we didn't get to cover? No, no thanks no for having us. Good. Yeah, Probably. thanks for having us. Nice to meet you. Hi, I'm Jake. And I'm Dave. Join us on the Podful of Saints, a St Albans City Football Club fan podcast. Each week during this football season, we shall be taking a look at the Saints' recent games and our upcoming matches. We have guests all during the season, and we also take a look at what is going on elsewhere in National League South. We end each week with a bit of fun with a Jake Predictor machine. To find the podcast, go to your podcasting platform of choice and search for the St Albans Podcast. Alternatively, go to stalwartspodcast.com forward slash Saints Podcast to find out more. That's a Podfellow Saints with Jake and Dave, part of the St Albans Podcast. In association with the Hearts Advertiser. Hello, I'm here with Alan Bobroff, Director of Ladies in Lavender at the Abbey Theatre. How's it going, Alan? Going very well. Um, we've, um, we're really getting, getting to grips with... Um, with it. In fact, I think, I'm hoping, that we'll do a full run tonight. Very in exciting. The yes. Uh, and it starts, we will. It's On twin. the 28th? Yeah. And it's a couple of weeks. Yes. <laughs> God. <laughs> Didn't realise it was getting so close. <laughs> <laughs> so, Ladies in Lavender, what's it about? What's the premise of the show? For um, people who haven't watched the film or read well, the book. Well, it's got an interesting background, actually. Because it starts off as a short story. Mm-hmm. Very short story, actually. Um, and Charles Dance was looking for something to read while he was waiting between shots in a film and he came across this story and um, he rather liked it so he decided to write a screenplay um, but he particularly wanted it for Maggie Smith and um, uh, Judy Dench Judy Dench <laughs> How I could forget her, I don't know. <laughs> uh, um, he particularly wanted them for it, so he wrote uh, he wrote the outline and he got in touch with them and um, said he wanted them, and they liked it. So he wrote the screenplay, and it was a very nice film. Um, it's a lovely story. It's the story of two ladies in mature, I would say. Let's mm-hmm. be kind. Vintage. So it, m- mature, mature ladies. Living in a um, living on the coast of Cornwall, a fairly remote part, um, outside um, a fishing village, a little way out from a fishing village, and um, after a storm one night, they see a body. Well, they see somebody li- see something lying on the beach, mm-hmm. um, and um, they decide to go down and see what it is, uh, and it's um, a young man who has been shipwrecked and washed up on the beach. He's not dead, uh, so they get a local fisherman to carry him into their home, and they nurse him back to health. He's a nice young man. Um, and um, he's um, the, doc- the local doctor uh, plays in the, in the, the local um, hospital orchestra. And um, it, the young man expresses a desire uh, to play the violin. So they get him a violin. The doctor brings his violin and he starts playing it and he's absolutely brilliant. Mm. He is a brilliant violinist um, who was on his way to America um, and he was going to play in bars and restaurants and things and earn some money. Um, 
A young woman is passing by, hears him playing, and uh, she happens to be, just by coincidence, the sister of a world-famous violinist. <laughs> <laughs> and she hears him and thinks he's absolutely wonderful. Mm. So um, it goes from there. She ends up uh, really discovering him and introducing him to the brother. Uh, but the, the whole point of the play is one of the old women, mm. uh, they're both spinsters. Um, it's set in 1938, 37. It's set in 1937, and two spinster ladies who've uh, not had any experience with men at all. Uh, and that's the whole point, because the younger sister, who's probably in her 50s, never known a man, never had any experience with a man, um, falls in love with him, basically. Oh. Um, but obviously knows it's entirely inappropriate because she's much too old for him. And mm. He's a very young man. Um, but she, nevertheless, she feels, she's got these feelings which she doesn't understand because she doesn't know what it's like to fall in love. She's mm. never been kissed, never had a, any kind of relationship with a man at all. Unlike, you know, in this day and age when young, you know, a young woman would have had her first kiss when she was in her teens. <laughs> and um, uh, in those days, nothing like that would, could possibly happen. Mm. So she's got this terrible yearning for him, which she doesn't understand because she really... Her only experience of, uh, of love would be reading romantic novels. Right. Uh, and that's all. I mean, there was no television. Mm. Um, there was, they had a radio, which was called a wireless. Um, there it is. <laughs> uh, and um, uh, so she's got no experience. In fact, there's a, there's a lovely line in it when she asks her older sister, who did have a boyfriend, uh, who went off to the First World War and didn't come back. Um, and she asks him, what was it like to be kissed? Mm. Um, because she had never been kissed. Um, and uh, so she has this, this, this yearning. She's never been kissed, never kissed a man. She said, yes, but he kissed you. Yes, she said, but he kissed me like a sister. Mm. Um, so it's it's quite sad. It's quite poignant. It's it's a very sad story, really, <laughs> because she doesn't obviously get him. Mm. He goes off to become a world famous violinist. Um, he's sort of kidnapped by this younger woman who was the sister of the of the, of, of the violinist, <laughs> whose name is Boris, by the way. <laughs> Uh, um, we had to, I had to cut one or two of the references to Boris because I didn't want people to laugh. <laughs> <laughs> I felt that if we kept talking about Boris, they would laugh. Mm. So we, 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 we changed the line to your brother. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, any listeners, uh, if they do come and see Ladies in Lavender, they can listen out for the your brothers. Yeah, there, uh, yes, there, there will Please be don't one, there cheer. Are, there are one or two references to Boris. But uh, not too many. Yes. I hope many of your listeners will come and see it. Uh, 
it's um, it's a super play. It's a very sweet play. Mm. It's um, it's quite uh, poignant. Mm. Um, and I fell in love with it when I first read it. And everybody else has, including the older sister down there who <laughs> just walked in. Um, and so um, that's really the um, that's really the story. Lovely. But it's it's a lovely story. It's and we've got lots of lovely music being played. Um, we have a set which consists of several parts mm. because we've got the, the the cottage on two floors on the stage. There we've got the we've got the the living room and the bedroom upstairs where they've taken him. Uh, then we've got a garden uh, and then we've got a beach along the front. Mm. Um, and there's even a, there is even a reference to the concert hall, but that's just a little tiny bit in the very end mm. where he's playing. Actually, we're using the Brooks Violin Concerto, um, which he the supposed to be playing at Wigmore Hall. Um, and that's really the story. It's, it seems very, very um, small story, but it is actually a very warm mm. uh, and, and lovely. And I suppose it's big for the characters, isn't it? It's, yes. It's, you know, massively important for, for everyone involved on, on, on the stage, all the characters. Oh yes, they're all the every one of those characters uh, has a, a, a major uh, role, really. Obviously, the two ladies are the biggest characters in the, in the mm. lead. Um, and um, this lady who is about to electrocute herself um, is the um, housekeeper. Um, she's a local lady from uh, Cornwall uh, who's got a wonderful Cornish accent uh, and is an absolute. Uh, wonder at comic timing <laughs> she manages to get the lines in just the right at just the right moment she's got some quite amusing lines and she delivers them very well indeed um, that's it's a small cast a cast mm. of six we've got the two ladies um, the housekeeper we've got the doctor we've got the young man uh, and we've got the sister of, uh, of Boris's sister and it's not, um, it's not, well, it's not the real one. No. <laughs> well, I'm really looking forward to coming to see it. Um, I, and I hope our listeners do come along. All, uh, I hope so. They're, 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 if they do come, they're in for a very nice evening. It's a very mm. sweet. Nice and melancholic. It's a very, yes, it's a very sweet play. It really is. Um, and all details for um, buying the tickets will be in the podcast description. Uh, is there anything else you'd like to say, Alan? Not really. Um, uh, I think I've got a fantastic crew. Mm. I, I seem to have managed to assemble the best we've got. <laughs> <laughs> so we've um, we've got a very um, we've got a lot of sound cues, um, a lot of music, incidental music in, in mm. the play, and um, there's uh, obviously you know we like different sections of the of the set mm. uh, to suit the action that's taking place because you know it's 
It's got about five different scene changes otherwise, <laughs> which would be impossible. So mm. we don't have any scene changes, we just have lighting changes. Okay. Cool. Well, um, yes, it, it was great to talk to you, Alan, and good luck with the show. Thank you very much. I hope you come and see it yourself. The Theatre Show with Ben and Susie. Produced in association with the St Albans Podcast. For more St Albans Podcasts, check out stalbanspodcast.com for full details on all the podcasts available and how to subscribe. To get in touch with The Theatre Show, email theatreshow at stalbanspodcast.com. The St Albans Podcast Theatre Show, out every fortnight on Thursdays.